0: Hello and welcome to The Exit Plan. I am Professor Amy Keeley and thank you for joining me today. Hopefully you got a chance to listen to my first podcast which was on the concept of The Exit Plan. If not, please go back and listen to the, that so that you have some basis of, of understanding a little bit more about the concept but obviously exit out of something um, or a situation or a job um, or where you're struggling and into a new, a new you. Um, a new business with growth, um, either individually or business-wise. So this podcast is called Who Am I? And the goal of talking about myself um, has always been a struggle for me when I first started teaching, because I started teaching the way I had learned in business to, to learn. And what I found out with the millennial generation is that it was a challenge to figure out how to be able to reframe what I'm trying to do so that they would get it. Um, but I also in the business world um, is that we come, so I'll come as a trusted advisor. Um, and in my world of where I came from, um, a trusted advisor is somebody it's a consultative selling in a way you're still always selling somebody because again, as a company, as a, as a person who works for a company, I mean, to some degree, do I think everybody sells? No, Um, but the answer is that everybody could sell. Um, You don't, you know, it's a misconception that I find even with my students when I ask them to raise their hand and says, who likes to sell? And I maybe get two people out of 40 that will raise their hands. Um, But the answer I tell them is is the classroom. I have them raise their hand and say, how many people recommended a movie that a friend went to go see? And I'll, the class 100% will raise their hand. I said, you just sold something. You just didn't get paid for it. So who I am, I want to be your trusted advisor. I want to be um, not necessarily selling you something, but selling you education, um, knowledge, empowerment, whatever I can to help you through whatever you're going through. Um, and that comes from working for companies that are extremely difficult companies to work for. And I'll share that. Um, so again. My goal with this podcast is to help. So, um, so I grew up in a small little town in Michigan, uh, and I now live in Detroit Metro, which a lot of people think about Detroit and think of burned out buildings, and yes, it is all that. Um, but that's Detroit Metro. It's like Chicago when I lived in Chicago. The reason why there's urban sprawl and the sub, the, the, the um, you know, Outerlying cities are so vast, uh, a network, is that they had the same problem Detroit did, which is crime and a mass exit out to the suburbs. So, you know, it's been a longer recovery for Detroit, but it's actually in a very interesting place right now to be, so it's exciting. But I come from this world of the automotive industry, and um, my mother was the first female industrial engineer at General Motors, and I have done lectures at women's groups where I talk about what I actually learned from my mom, which I think surprises many people. Um, maybe I'll bring it into the podcast, um, but I definitely do women's group discussions about what I learned. Um, but I also um, have worked in the corporate world for, let's just generously say, 25 years plus, um, because I've been working at since the age of eight. So one of the things I am extremely grateful for is growing up at a time where there really wasn't a lot of money and having parents my mom again worked at General Motors. So there's not much flexibility there, but my dad was in real estate and he was also an inventor type of guy. So we had flea markets, we had auto auctions, we had festivals with carnival rides that my dad would um, come up with these ideas to do some event because my dad is the great promoter. Um, But um, so... I come from this background of having been put as a babysitter because my parents didn't have money for babysitting. So it was like dragged the kid along and you know, either whether it was in the real estate company, I still have visions of being five and set up behind, you know, my dad's desk, you know, with a typewriter and playing like I was secretary. Um, we had restaurants in our basement because as kids we were ready to launch into business, having grown up around entrepreneurship and, um, so there's a lot of different reasons why, but in some cases when I was working at my dad's auto auction managing the, consign- or the uh, concession stand, um, I was pulling in about 800 bucks a week once everything was paid and far outweighing what my fellow students were doing. But if you're a parent and you're listening to this podcast, I would say I want to be very clear or if you're a wannabe parent very clear that you are raising many adults you're not raising children they are children by definition of their biology but they're evolving into adults and human beings who have to engage and take care of themselves in the world and During their formative learning years, between the ages of 1 and 7, is when they learn the most. It's when your mind is open for learning. And that's why many schools have learned that you teach them language, Spanish, French, whatever language it is, when they're between that 1 to 7 range. Because as you get further from that range, your window of opportunity for learning new things grows decreases. Um, now I'd say in my case it seems slightly weird to say this but it actually increased but I think it's because I figured out how my brain functions to a degree that allowed me to retain and learn new new topics um, but for the most part you're doing that. so you want to involve your kids young in your business and I'll give you an example. Um, a friend of mine was struggling. he's working for an entrepreneur company working extremely long hours extremely difficult. His wife is a nurse, so, you know, during COVID, she's not around, and he's been with the kids. And he said, in a very candid conversation, that he feels like such a bad dad. And I'm like, you're not a bad dad at all. And he's like, well, I just don't spend that much time with my kids. I said, let me give you some advice. I said, your kids just want face time with you. They want to be in a room with you. But they're not necessarily looking to play. I know most people want to think that. And it's because they've been trained to play. But the answer is, is that if you could involve them in your business in ways they're not going to, like, obviously damage your business. But in ways that kind of gives them a controlled landing, your kids will, will hopefully should, bend over backwards to thank you. Because I do that to my parents, well now my dad, every day. Because if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here talking to you about what what's going on. So there is you know other ways to be able to, to do that. so one of the things that makes me qualified as well in addition to having these degrees which I look at degrees because someone has told me I need them in a way I don't necessarily feel smarter for them um, especially you know business and and you know different things like that because the answer is is that I self educate I'm and it's because I'm always asking questions. I am that. I mean, I'm an adult four-year-old going, why, why, why? Well, how come it's this? Well, what about this? Let me do some research so that I never walk away from something I don't understand. I'll take that extra time and figure it out. And with Google, there is no reason why anybody shouldn't know anything. Because you have Google at your fingertips to be able to Google an answer. The only problem you have with the Googles of the world is now you have to vet the information that you're getting. And that's a whole other um, conversation. But it's clearly a nightmare right now situation with the lies that the media has been telling, mistruths. And I think that why they're so offended is that they truly do believe that they're being accurate when they're not. So, um, you know, my, my... thought is to um, talk about, you know, a little bit about my degrees and and why those are relevant, but to kind of highlight the struggle I had in corporate world and why I, or I I should say in teaching, um, when I was teaching, is that what I learned is that my students wanted to be spoon-fed. Simple as that. They wanted me to regurgitate everything I knew and, and to give that to them, and they wanted to pass a class. And yet, I was reading from the book, but I would give anecdotal information that wasn't in the book or something that may have come up that my experience was different than the marketer that wrote the book. And at the end of the day, that's what I kept telling my students. This book is only one marketer's perspective. Or even if it's a group of authors, it's still just their perspective and yet marketing is enormous it is enormous and that's why a lot of companies have invested heavily in their marketing departments such as Nike Nike because they've realized the power of marketing is going to keep you coming back to buy shoes um, or what else ever else that they supply but again it's you know it's interesting that people are choosing that Um, so just be mindful that you know you have a lot of things that I bring to the table that make me a good trusted advisor I've also won an American Marketing Association Award they are not easy to get let me just put it out there I think like my most of my students think that marketing is only advertising anyway and it is so much more than advertising Uh, But an American Marketing Association Award, I have people, when I say it, think that I'm saying it because, oh, you know, it's her ego. She has to say it. No, what I'm letting someone know when I make that statement isn't to make them feel less of a person because they don't have it. It's basically to say it's the Oscars in my industry, the highest level award that you can get as a marketer. Um, There's several of them, but the one is from the Association for Marketing. Um, saying that you meet our standards. And so it was, like I said, one of the hardest things I've ever gotten because it wasn't about just the advertising and, hey, here's a copy of the the, the, uh, aver- you know, the ad that we ran, um, and here's the sequence. Um, you had to say, you had to show them the materials that you were sending out, but you had to prove that it was successful. And that means that they wanna see your numbers quantified. And how you, where you were at as a baseline, and how you grew it because of this particular campaign. Um, So that's why I mentioned the award, not to brag about myself by any means, but just to say, you know, there's a lot of people they're calling themselves marketers who are not trained marketers, and I'm not necessarily a trained marketer. I didn't go to school for it, and I'll explain why I didn't. Um, But there's a lot of people out there who don't have them and yet that's what the uh, being an award-winning marketer is it's somebody who's passed the test basically Um, I get marketing at a level that other people don't get it because they're very hard to get and they're you know they're like anything they're they're a rare award show so I had some campaigns of mine um, that we assembled all together and submitted um, at a previous company that I worked for and so that's an American Marketing Association award but the feedback I was getting from students was that oh she just talks about herself all the time and it's so funny that I would get that feedback because I really don't like to talk about myself but I have learned that it's easier for people to connect with me if I share my stories first it makes them feel less vulnerable of having made a mistake or you know you know, being too busy or whatever the reason is Is just that you know that's the feedback I would get and I never understood it because I've learned in business that the reason why my knowledge is the way it is is that I listen very carefully to the stories that people around me tell. So if I'm listening to somebody who's in the retirement age and they're going to be retiring in a couple of years, I, I listen to what they have to say either in meetings or whatever because they're giving you history. They're giving you the knowledge on what you need to be successful. Um, So then there is the other award that you can get, which again, there's like a silver microphone that I've gotten for original music compositions that we've done for advertising campaigns. Um, So a lot of different things that, that, that has come up. And so for me, what is more notable is that my students think I'm talking about myself. And I'm like, yeah, I learn by listening. So for example... If I overheard someone telling the story of, hey, well, we had this problem and here's how we fixed it. I listen and I listen to what the problem was and I listen to how they fixed it. And it may not, I may not need that information right now, but if I go work for a company and they're having a problem, I can pull from my memory banks that story that someone told me that even if I don't know the guts of it, I know the story so what i typically would do is working for a company i'd say well i'd like to propose an, an idea i know it's worked for other companies um so i'd like to propose it and see if it works for this company so that you're taking somebody else's idea and recircle it circulating it and you can be honest and admit who it came from there's no fault i mean it actually just shows you're good at listening but in some cases you may not choose to say that it may be as if it is your idea and yes it is your idea because you listened intently to what they said. You stored it in your memory banks. And at that point, it's your knowledge. You may or may not know how to be able to execute it, but it is your knowledge to be able to present it. So I listen to the stories that my predecessors or people around me are telling. And I use that in my information and how I, I recommend things or solve problems is I'm looking back to... What I've heard before. So for me, when I started teaching, that's how I taught. I'm telling you stories about myself. I' um, about you know, what I've learned in business. Um, and it, some of it may contradict what the what the marketing book says. And I qualify it. I said, this is one person's marketing opinion. Now, has that ever happened? Um, not really. I mean, I haven't found anybody that I, I don't understand. You know their rationale for doing certain things may not be cho- it may, may not be a chosen method of mine, and that's why I offer alternatives. Is to say, well, this is one marketer's opinion of what these mean, but I've also seen them used as this. So I'm always giving an alternative, and those you know again those are my quiz questions, and I go through them very thoroughly. Um, so I had to shift it the narrative to say, okay, so. Would you rather read a 30-page case study and write a minimum of a 1,000-word paper? And by the way, you can't ask that case study writer any questions because they've written it, published it, done with it. Um, Whereas if you're listening to me, I'm giving you a story that's relevant to the topic that we're talking about. And... More importantly, it is one of those situations where I said to them, Okay, so you can listen to that and write this book report, or you can listen to me and ask me questions. So, where a book or an inanimate object or a case study cannot answer your questions if you have a question about why that story is in the book. So, that's what I hopefully I lend is that other ear that can take that information and help you process it because you're hearing the same information that I hear in some ways, but you're just letting it go in one ear and out. The other, no pun intended. It's like for some reason, if it, if that message comes to you at 5.05, you already shut your brain off to where you're not working and it doesn't really resonate with you. So that's what I guess I would say is, you know, one of the things about me that I bring is there are many case studies um, that I'm going to be giving you of examples of of other examples besides what is in a marketing textbook that you may have learned based on over 25 years of experience that I bring. So um, I have the education. More importantly, I have the experience, which is what I value the most. And so all of this makes me, I guess, unique. And I'm learning to be okay with that because no one wants to think that they're atypical. And yet what I've had to learn is my, my, my path along the way has made me in some ways atypical. Um, so I share stories and, I, and some of them will be antidotal. But when I tell antidotal stories like, oh, I had this situation here or I had this situation, please understand that that, is, that, that I'm telling you that story because I've seen research out there that would res- support it in a scholarly way. Or I will tell you if this is a hypothesis. I suspect from the data I'm seeing uh, that this is what the conclusion I'm drawing so I'm a market researcher I read everything that's out there um, in the news and sometimes I'll go through Yahoo News and Apple News and M Live and all these different sources um, news feeds that are pulling from different sources like AP Bloomberg you know Bloomberg and all these different sources so if I start to see trends um, Again, when I'm telling you a story and it's anecdotal, it's to say I'm looking at data trends and data points that the best way I can explain to you what I'm seeing is by telling you a story. So you'll hear me do that a lot. Um, You'll also hear me drift in a conversation where your head may be like, why, wait, she was talking about this and why she's talking about that now. And that's where you have to pay attention because it is in that story and the progression of that story. Where it has an, an outcome. And I promise you, as I have, have had people doubt whether I go back to um, that original concept, and I can assure you, I tie it all back in together nicely um, so that it should be easy to understand. And so that you're hearing stories that support the data that I'm, I'm finding. Um, I am an ENTJ. If you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs test, uh, you can go Google that that quadrant, um, it is a very rare quadrant um, where a lot of the other quadrants. And I do these Myers Briggs for my students as well as my employees, and it's to know thyself. Socrates says, "Know thyself." So you have to know your strengths and weaknesses. And the personality tests, and it doesn't have to be Myers Briggs. I just find it to be very beneficial for me. Um, but whatever personality you t- t- test, you take, it's good to know yourself, uh, your strengths and weaknesses. But more importantly, if you're on a team, I used to make sure that my students all took this because they were working in teams. And if you've ever gone to school or you know someone who's gone to school, the one thing you hear them complain about besides getting a lower grade is I hate working in teams. And yet they make you work in teams because you work in teams in business all day long. And so they give you this sort of safe work environment in the in the educational system where you can work in a team and figure it out, figure out what works, because you're gonna have to figure it out in the corporate world. And it's a, a skill set that you can put on your resume that you have you know excellent experiences with teams. So just to give you, you know, some background on, on that, um, you have to work in teams. So understanding yourself is important in working in team, but also understanding your teammates because everybody comes to a team with different goals, with different knowledge, with different um, perspectives. And you have to, as a team or as a leader on a team, figure out how to be able to harness all that to be able to yield the best result. So part of that goes into knowing your team's strengths and weaknesses. If they don't like research, don't make them do research. Don't split it up evenly so everybody's fair. That's not how, you know, you should be considering it. It's look at their skill sets. What are they, if they're good at putting PowerPoint presentations together, then find somebody who likes to do the research and let them put the PowerPoint presentation together. Um, Because you want to play a team and, you know, it's a a leadership um, mantra is to align your teams with their goals. Because if they're happy and satisfied with what they're doing because they like what they do, it shows in their work. And their work shines to customers. And people will keep buying from you because the messaging that's coming out of your company is people are happy, people are satisfied, they care, um, and they stay there. So there's a lot to be said for Myers-Briggs understanding who you are, how to work in teams. Um, So that's one of the other things that I bring is, is that corporate educational component to how do you train people? How do you think differently? How do you solve problems between people? When do you do team building because you are so dysfunctional as a team that it's not working? Or when you're dealing with change management and you bring in new key leaders, doing some of these personality exercises or team building exercises are going to be required because you're bringing new people in the fold and they have to learn to be able to trust them quickly. And I've seen many companies that don't do that and struggle through change management. And at the end of the day, Human beings don't really like change. Even those of us that like change really don't like change. We just think about change faster and we're more open to it, but we still struggle with it occasionally, depending on what it is. So humans don't like change. So how do you make change happen and make sure it has a zero impact on the business? um, And the only impact on the business is it's growing. So the negative impact is is making sure that operations stays focused on operations, sales stays focused on sales, and you as a leader are focused on growth. So I bring that knowledge to the table where I can help do that. But also, <clears throat> excuse me, I am what you call an interdisciplinarian. So I cover a wide variety of topics. I've worked in a lot of different industries, and that was on purpose. My mother, much to her chagrin, I was invited to work at General Motors and through, you know, they have this avenue through their co-op program that you would go and work for what was General Motors Institute, which is now Kettering. And then you would end up getting hired by General Motors. And I turned it down. And maybe I'll share that story one day, but my mom was absolutely horrified. Like, why on earth would you do this? But I was more interested in business overall, which is why I've worked in a lot of different industries. Because I, they all have common denominators. They all have accounting departments. They almost all have IT departments now. They all have an HR department. They all have a leadership team. Um, they all have operations that may function different. So that even the same company in the same industry making the same product is going to operate and function different. For example, GM and Ford. GM and Ford make vehicles yet the way they operate as a company is entirely different, but they all have the same departments. They just use them differently. So my interest was in business, and I took a a really odd route to get here, but I'd say that's one of the reasons why I have a richer depth of knowledge is that I have moved around, always increasing my title and my income, whatever job I've taken, but now have this vast repository of information that I hope I can help people. And how it came to play, for example, in my own life 'Cause I remember at um, a com- Kelly Services where I was working there, I wanted to move up to a director role. And I interviewed with the VP. And I have your typical long resume jam-packed because I've done a lot in my career. I've moved at the chain of command, even if it wasn't at a company. And she looked at my resume, and now she's worked for Kelly her whole life, 20 years. And the first words out of her mouth is, can you hold a job? And I said, well, of course I can. I've been here for five years it's on my resume. Um, So what I found with HR, it's the greatest black and white industry I've ever worked in and it's very dynamic and it's captivating, but I've worked in a lot of other industries. Now, why I shared that story is that when the 2008 market um, collapse happened, I ended up getting laid off and I'm okay with that actually, because usually that's a door opening or door closing and another door opening, which has led me on the journey to get me where I'm at today. But the same director who made that comment got laid off as well and I ended up getting three job offers in four months which if you remember that time jobs were unheard of now I had jumped through massive holes to do it which was doing business plans of what I was going to do if I took over um but at the end of the day that function of going through that layoff And the struggle afterwards was, again, what set me on this journey to teaching um, and understanding business at a different level so that I could then, again, come back as a different expert so that I've worked in a lot of different industries. Um, I have a lot of experiences as an executive, but all the way down to, let's say, I've been a cashier, I've been a receptionist. Um, So I've learned things from the ground up, but I've also learned them from the top down. And I've also observed the C-suite, mistakes that are made, um, and have cataloged those in my brain so that as a CEO as I am now, I will not be that kind of boss, and that's why I'm doing these podcasts and why I've shifted my career to my consulting company, which is hunterhennessy.com. Um, check out the What's App, what, what What Is Marketing, because it's vast, it's dynamic, not complex per se, meaning it a lot of the visuals I saw when I was redoing that map and I explained why I did it, um, they don't get it. And when I'm reading it, I see that they don't get it, what marketing really is. And they've become so reductive within marketing. Oh, I'm a content marketer. I'm a digital marketer. Um, well, I'm a supply chain marketer and I will go in, in another podcast and explain what that, that is. But as I wrap up this podcast, um, on my last one, I said that I was going to play the door shutting. Um, to symbolize it, the, the closing of, of the, the podcast. Um, but I'm also going to coin the phrase of slam that door because what I want to do in these podcasts is hopefully help for you so that you can leave and exit that situation, whether it's a bad job um, or a bad situation or not growing, whatever it is, that you can ultimately slam the door shut and feel comfortable that you can walk through it keep going, lock the door, never go back to that situation, learn from it, always be mindful of it, but walk away from it. So I would say thank you for listening. Cheers and slam that door.